1: Good day. Rob Black, near money, I'm Rob Black. Roughly two weeks, two weeks, three weeks, maybe four weeks until the election's over. Um I think most people are expecting it to be disputed. I think. Again, this is weird because Wall Street, your retirement is the way I look at Wall Street intersects with Main Street politicians all too often. Most of the people out there who are listening right now tend to remember Wall Street as something that economists had to run into and had to operate, and it took that kind of mentality. You had to know the data, the numbers, the joblessness, the inflation rates. But right now we're in a position where there's a different-looking United States in the next four years, depending on who gets elected. And it looks pretty stark. I think in some stewardships, it wasn't as stark. Um, Clearly, the switch from Clinton to Reagan was a big shift in America. Someone who did social programs really, really well, and someone who did tax cuts and trickle-down economics really, really well. George W. Bush or George Bush Sr., He made a huge mistake after he took over and ran the presidency for four years. George Bush Jr.'s daddy, as I'd like to refer to him, he promised no new taxes, and that came back to haunt him. He did great with the first Iraq war. His popularity was at an all-time high. We took out Osama bin – not Osama. (laughs) We took out Saddam Hussein pretty fast in that first war. And it's interesting because the markets dumped right before. And then they immediately recovered when they saw how fast it was. But the markets were afraid. Fear is something that is introduced on the markets on a regular basis. So you look at Clinton. Clinton, if you look at the presidencies from Reagan to Bush Sr., to Clinton uh, to Bush Jr., to Obama, Clinton had the best tenure on Wall Street. Tenure? I'm saying not tenure. Not tenure, but Tenure? His eight years thumped everyone else's. Now, not being political, some people will say, didn't he walk into Internet 1.0? Yeah. Wasn't that a good time to be the president? Yes. Because there was a lot of startup companies that are generating a lot of taxes on the back end. But on the front end, there was a lot of change happening in the world of technology. And then it Obama, he was the second best president as far as the stock market returns in the last, uh, going back to 1980, the last 40 years. And it's it's interesting because when I got in this industry, we all thought it's the Democrats who are bad for the stock market. In actually every case except for George Bush Jr., the markets had a great run. Uh, George Bush Sr. They out. I'm not going to say the outperform because markets aren't outperforming themselves, but they outperformed expectations. So know that politics is coming up. This is the time of year where CFP, Chad, Burton, and myself get more emails of people who kind of want to almost want to hurt themselves. What do I mean by that? Um, They kind of want to go. Well, if Biden wins, then he's going to tax us to death. Okay. I get it. (laughs) Their policies are pretty different this time. Clean energy looks pretty obvious under Biden. And businesses keeping as much money as they can through deregulation, through tax cuts, through loopholes. Business seems to be pretty well favored under, under Trump. So it seems like there's going to be enough here to work with. It's not a scorched earth policy. I'm throwing that out there in large part because, um, how shall we say this? A lot of people send emails trying to shake up their portfolio. I think I heard CFP Chad Burton recently say something along the lines of, tune it. Don't gut it. And again, things could change. Consultant broker advisor for taking action on any stocks ever mentioned on the show. Uh, You know what I'm going to miss one day? Mortgage rates. It's one of the most fascinating things about money. And I learned this a long time ago from CFP, Rick Edelman. Interest rates probably drive real estate prices much more so than anything else. It's not the investor out there who's driving real estate prices higher. It's, it's the cost of money that's so cheap. So we have moved off that cheap money in the last month. I think that's fair to say. Where we're no longer... The cheap money... Oh, this is interesting. The cheap money worries about the stock market. The cheap money worries about the economy. And what I mean by that is the 10-year treasury. You could see a flight safety in it so when people are scared they put money in it and it drives the rates really really low because everyone wants it but as it starts creeping higher it's kind of implying it's not always 100 percent accurate but better days are ahead so we're at 85 basis points now in the 10-year treasury i still stand by a very basic idea which is a good place to start but you need to refine it When the 10-year treasury is under 3.5%, stocks are gonna be more attractive to me. Like the S&P 500, like tech stocks, like growth stocks. Um, Because a lot of money is going safe, I wanna not be on the other side of that, but there's opportunity on the other side of that. So when a lot of people pile into the Treasury, when our own government piles into it, it tells you something, right? But in the last month, that treasury has gone from 65 basis points to 85 basis points. That's a big move. 6% to 8%. Not as big of a move. Because when you're dealing with smaller numbers, it's it's almost exponential. So are we going to have record low mortgage rates next month? I don't think so. Do I want record low mortgage rates Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not buying a house in the next year. I say always buy what you can afford. And I think stocks look a lot more affordable when they're so cheap, when the interest rate's so cheap, um, because you're not getting results in bonds. And the bond money is 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 on the wrong side of the bet there. The safety money is on the wrong side of the bet. It's been an earning season going on now for the second week, earnings are much better than expected. But now, what does that mean? Last year at this time, did would I have been happy with these earnings? No. I would have been very disappointed. Um, hold on. I'm not getting my chats. Okay, there we go. Um, last year at this time, it would have been much worse for what we got in earnings season so far to what we were expecting a year ago. But for what we were expecting 90 days ago, it's better than expected. Wall Street's a weird little beast, isn't it? You can find me online at newfocusfinancial.com. That's newfocusfinancial.com. I'm Rob Black. I was going to say sitting in for CFB, Chad Virgin because I've been doing that recently. But no, I'm just still Rob Black. And you can find me online at Rob Black show, Twitter Rob Black show, YouTube Rob Black show. There's a really good article written at New Focus Financial on the election and investments. It's worth taking a look at before the elections. You can find me online at robblackshow.com.
0: Your comments and questions are always welcome. Visit Rob Black online at robblack.com. Now, back to Rob Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW.
1: I'm a Black Duck and all things financial. It's going to be kind of maddening, but I have to admit like right now. Back home with a, blood a lot of the emails that CFP Chadburn and myself get, and I'm not going to speak for him as much because I think I draw more of the um, idea generators, whereas he's probably drawn more of the wealthy people. But language is spoken in India, is what I want to talk about right now. Some 20 years ago, in radio, part of my job is to help you accumulate wealth, right? To give you business ideas on what's happening on Wall Street, but to also give you some investment ideas of investment trends, demographics, things where you could put your money in front of intelligently. One of the things I got into as a concept as investing in foreign markets. And I did it in a cute way. I said, I think you should have some of your money in Australia because I've been to Australia, and it's like the United States 50 years ago, but they're building to where they, where we are now, but they're where we were 50 years ago, as far as infrastructure goes. I had gone to Australia. I had put you know boots on the ground, so to speak. And I saw with my own eyes what was happening of... I wanted Australia to be more like the United States, where I thought it was going that way. So that's like one of the little seeds that I put in my head when I went. Okay. So the second seed would be something along the lines of you start educating yourself on China versus India. China versus India as countries became more of an investment theme probably 20, 25 years ago. Because we saw the wealth that the United States had. Very mature, developed capitalist society in the United States. But we saw China had this inkling of wanting world economic economic power. They had to break the chains of communism bet, and India was right there as far as number of people living in their country. And compared to China, India versus China, China versus India, India versus China. So when you do research, and I gotta get to what I'm embarrassed about, and I will in a second. I concluded at the time that India was a much better investment opportunity than China. And at one point in time, I said, I think India's, got, I didn't say think, and forgive me when I, I repeat this. I go, India's got two major languages, or two languages. And oh boy, did the emails come in. Um, 122 major languages, 1,600 other languages in India. So I don't know what an other language is, but I got schooled on it. What I get to here is I've never actually been to China, and I've never actually been to India, so I'm the scholar, the guy who's reading about the demographics, the guy who's reading about the how many uh, what populate, what percentage of the population is college educated and I, I decided 20 25 years ago that India looked like a better long-term investment than China, and I incorrectly knew nothing about it because I didn't even know how many languages were spoken there. Um, Does that make sense to you? We as investors, when we're young, we try to find areas that are more interesting than what may be on the headlines at CNBC. And sometimes we wade into trouble. I'm not going to give you advice on supplements. I can tell you that the research shows most supplements don't get absorbed by your body, that it's just expensive urine. But it is what it is. I'm not going to get into that. If I see the numbers there, I might be interested, but I'm not going to get into the efficacy of it. With India and China, I saw the numbers, but I didn't actually put boots on the ground. I kind of get into these areas where I get a little bit ahead of myself, and that's a normal curiosity, and I want you to have that. I don't think it's a bad thing, but when you start putting money into it, know that you're taking a little bit more risk. I'll give you one quick idea. I clearly know that if every person in China drinks one ounce of Coca-Cola, that the stock would double. There's, there's statistics like that. Or their, their case volume would double. And you're like, whoa, that sounds like one ounce doesn't sound like a lot. And it's not. It's one of those dumb data points. So I was fascinated by that. Because the headline news would feed us stories on occasion. One of the big ones 25 years ago was bicycling in China. And I remember hearing business talk radio shows that were um, preaching to the choir, so to speak. Um, China's growing. China's industrializing. China's got growing wealth. China's got you know contracts with Apple. Con- China's got a dedication to show the world the Olympics as their their platform that they've made it economically speaking. And every now and then, you would see a, a stock on Wall Street that. All they did was business in, I'm gonna say this because I don't know the provinces in Wuhan um and that they sell bicycles and you're like, okay, I get it yeah more people are going to work you know they've got that bad pollution we've seen that yeah we've seen the bad pollution more Chinese people are going to work they've they got the Olympics coming up and you kind of you know i don't I don't even know the currency in China I know that's the one but i I, I don't I've never been to the country. The closest I've ever got to China is General Tso's chicken. (laughs) I know you're saying that. I love that too. Um, It's so funny. The Chinese restaurants on the East coast versus the West coast. Very, very different. Very different. Um, But I'm digressing, aren't I? I wanted to dedicate this segment to the concept of try not to get into trouble. Try not to get into areas every now and then you need to pull back. I remember that was one of the bigger problems with the dot-com era, is that a lot of investors, the first dot-com, 2000, a lot of investors got into stocks that they didn't understand, they didn't know, they just saw that it was a dot-com. Do you know that there was actually a movement at that point in time to turn your company into dot-com? It was almost like Yahoo, dot-com. Excite.com. Wall Street liked the sizzle of the dot com. I think it's fair to say now Wall Street has sizzle words that they're attracted to because they know it's a story that can be sold. I once gave a presentation at Freeman Billings Ramsey, and uh, I was talking to their employees, and one of the things we we're talking about was the sizzle part of the deal. I'm like, what are you guys looking for in IPOs? Because they were bringing IPO after IPO after IPO that was just hot. They all all did well. I was like, what do I need to be looking for? And they let me sit in on one of their pitch meetings. And I heard one of the FBI analysts say, where's the sizzle? I see the stake, but where's the sizzle? And I was like, whoa. Be very careful getting into areas of investing that are speculative to you. I can admit I've never been in China, so I'm not going to buy a Chinese stock. That's changed a little bit over time as I trust different analysts who have been to China. But you get the general idea, I hope. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial. Find me online at newfocusfinancial.com.
0: and questions are always welcome. Visit Rob Black online at robblack.com. Now back to Rob Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW.
1: I don't think this is serious news, but I think it's worth bringing up. I just did a whole segment on be careful, thinking that you know more than you do. Sometimes it's okay to say, "I'm just going to get an index" because I get the general idea. Of there's a lot of people in China. You don't actually have to own a, a weird Chinese stock that you've never heard about, in a county that you've never heard about, in an area that you've like. It's weird when I see people go that kind of bullet shot specific. <clears throat> I do like Alibaba, and I think it is the Amazon of China, and I think forever more, I don't think the idea of China being best friends with the United States is ever going to sell. I don't think that story's there. I don't. Th- I think we could go. Yeah, we're both economic superpowers and it's in our best interest. We got farmers, you need food. Uh, You got cheap labor, we need cheap technology, which isn't all that cheap. So China's the world's manufacturer, right? And that happened on two fronts, both the clothing side, the toy side, but then it became the electronic side, the semiconductor side. It's okay to get an index. It's okay to like one Chinese stock I would prefer it be a big Chinese stock like Alibaba that has a lot of Wall Street analysts who have been to the country. So just try not to get into too much trouble. Another area that I want to caution investors on, I guess today is you know, take a raincoat <laughs> to work day or take an umbrella to work day. So I'm, I'm, what I'm trying to school is when I got into the industry, I went to the best and brightest to learn from. And to this day, I'm still learning. One company has come and gone, and as an investor, I could have gone on the private side with this company. I was approached by a company called Quibi, and they wanted to do a a short format show. And I didn't really buy into the economics of it. I didn't want to put a lot of time into a project that was meh at best to me. Quibi is a short form video service. And the story with the sizzle a couple years ago that they were selling on Wall Street, that they were selling to investors, was more Americans are on their way to work looking at their phone. And instead of hearing an update, they want to see an update. Instead of committing to a 30-minute comedy, they want to commit to a 10-minute comedy. That maybe the attention span plus the commute equals let's come up with short form video. I'm not knocking short form video. I don't know if we have to put the production values into short form video and it has to break the 30 minute show <clears throat> or hour show. Like, you know, one, one thing that they wanted to do was financial news in three minutes. I like the idea. Today at one o'clock when the market closes, I can come out and Put together three minutes for you. Then you have to get into the concept of production costs. Quibi was a company that had the blessing of David Geffen, Jeffrey Katzenberg, and other big time media moguls. Um, the ex governor, was she governor? No, she ran for governor. Wow, Meg Whitman. And, oh, yeah, it was a fabulous fail, too. Uh, billion dollar fail. So. She was the CEO of Quibi. This week it was announced that the short form video company called Quibi was shutting down after six months of it in existence. Let me give you a couple more ideas of shows that they did. Um, like a 10 minute game show. And the production values were great. It reminds me of Boston Chicken. Some people may know it as Boston Market, some people may know it as Boston Chicken. Um, Sput out from a McDonald's concept. Weird, right? How can something so delicious and well done like Boston Market be tied to something like McDonald's? It is. <laughs> Believe it or not. Um, so when I first went into like Boston Markets in the early, late 80s, early 90s, I want to say early 90s, the food was so good. The bathrooms were so clean. And everything was like $5. And I was like, well, that just makes no sense. And ultimately, it became too good to be true. They were losing a lot of money by doing that quality of bathroom and that quality of food at that low of a price. So that company went bankrupt and had to come out of bankruptcy. Quibi is a great concept, but it's a very expensive concept. So they just they raised $2 billion of us, 1.75. Let's just round $250 million off or up, right? And they wanted to make videos that were limited to 10 minutes per episode. Ultimately, they couldn't convince people to pay $5 a month with ads or $8 per month without them. So they shut down. It's pretty interesting. We forget how many companies have to fail to push us a little bit ahead. Are you with me? Track with me for just one more minute. There was a company that I worked for called Mevio. Which was founded by um, the DJ Adam from what was his name? Adam from MTV. Um, I'm getting. I'm showing my age. Am I not? Um, Adam Curry. Thank you. Thank you. It had great production value. They brought me in and they gave me like a financial channel. I was on TV. Real TV, and I was on this internet TV channel thing. And you can go to the website YouTube and search for Rob Black and Your Money. You'll see some of these old shows that I used to do for them. They're pretty funny, like haha funny. Early days of internet polish on media. A lot of money, a lot of production. When I went to their offices, they were gorgeous. And then I'm like, isn't that Adam Curry from MTV? And it was. They, too, tried to do this alternate site media polish with the promise of no physical television signal but the internet to distribute content it was just too expensive so when you see companies come public today there's a little bit of i'd almost say polish 2.0 polish 3.0 being put on them be cautious with your investments if the company's not earning money Tesla is one of those companies that they reported their fifth consecutive quarterly profit. They're going to have a profit for the year. But a lot of analysts had a price target of zero on them because the company was borrowing money, spending money, borrowing money, spending money, borrowing money, spending money, uh, picking up more revenue, borrowing money, spending money, picking up even more revenue, borrowing money, spending money, investing it in battery technology, If you haven't picked up that electric vehicles are going to be a huge investment, you're fighting common conventional wisdom. And one of the things that Tesla does well is batteries. Having driven their vehicles, they're cute. They're impressive. Try taking a Tesla up a mountain. Doesn't work quite as well because it's basically a golf cart a souped up, really nice golf cart. And the part that's interesting that we're keep forgetting about, it's the word souped up. The batteries are what Tesla does well. And they're very quiet about that. You're looking at the car. It's like the wizard of Oz. He's pulling the levers in the back and you see this big, powerful, you know, creature that's intimidating Dorothy. And then she looks around a curtain and she sees it's just an old man. You're looking at the car. You should be looking at the battery. The battery industry's top players are set to widen their lead in the next few years. The GM Hummer this week, narrated by the greatest of all time, LeBron James, was quite impressive. But again, it's the batteries that make it impressive. The fact that they could pull off 0 to 60 in whatever speed, the fact that they could do towing with batteries. Let's say glorified AA batteries, right? <laughs> really glorified. There's a couple companies that have mar- dominant market to share. One of them is CATL um, and Ski, S-K-I, and they're European in nature. The companies that you know really well are Panasonic and Samsung, and they're expected to lose share capacity as these younger companies expand to get into the market bigger with money brought on by Wall Street. LG Chemical will overtake CATL with a 31% share, while CATL's share sales will grow 28% market share. If we can get 28% market share in the game Monopoly, that gives you roughly one quarter of the board. If you got in the right place like Park Place, if you got on that row of death, 25% market share is pretty good. And the row of the game right now of batteries, there's going to be a lot of winners. Not this year. For the next twenty years, it looks like the world has started to accept the fact that electric vehicles have grown up to the point that we should make them standard. It's it's frustrating. It's intimidating. I'm, so, I'm sure some people want to you know hold on to their with their you know gun at their hand their their gas guzzling SUV. I'm one of them. I had a. A truck that got 13 miles per gallon—that's embarrassing. It's shameful. But battery technology is not going to go away. And don't just look at the shiny part. Look behind or under the hood. When you first time you see a Tesla, and you're in the car, and you see like how the battery is distributing an energy, you realize that they're showing you that the batteries are completely the undercarriage. It's a pretty cool concept because you're like, I, where's the moving parts? Allied market research predicts the market for lithium ion batteries used in electric vehicles will grow from 36 billion this year to 129 billion by 2027. We all have to up our game on battery research and technology and companies that are doing it well. LG Chem, that tells you that it's a foreign company, and CATL starting the research there. We'll expand it. We'll talk about it in the coming days, months, years. But there's a big shift in cars going that direction. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial money, investing more.
0: We're making financial sense of your portfolio. Now, back to Rob Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW.
1: I don't have a ton of information on foundations. But we all know Bill Gates has put us his money in a foundation. We all know that the Clintons had a foundation, and part of their job was to hire scientists and get relationships going with foreign governments, talking about distribution of, you know, uh, prenatal vitamins, things like that, into parts of the world that need them of the world that can't afford them, cleaning of water. <clears throat> Bill Gates is someone I admire, and I love that the pandemic has brought out more Bill Gates. <clears throat> I don't admire him for what he did with Microsoft. I admire him for what he did after Microsoft. He was able to walk away from it very tough, and he was able to focus on, I remember at one point in time, he wanted to cut down on the world population. And the concept was, let's get some birth control in these parts of the world where children change your life, where you become dedicated to them, and it's very expensive, and there's not a lot of health care, very problematic parts of the world. And then he did a 180 on that. He figured out he was doing it all wrong. I'm trying to do a show today <clears throat> that kind of admits that you can do it all wrong and still move forward, and you can kind of figure it out on the way. One of the areas that I wanted to talk about, I talked about India versus China, but I should also tell you, like, Thailand is interesting to me. I can I can, you know, again, the sizzles there. Um, I know some pro- people have done some humanity work in Thailand, and I know that there's a lot of political turmoil in Thailand. It seems to be, it's called uh, uh, the Asian tiger who's had problems <clears throat> Back in 1998, the country of 70 million has become a financial afterthought. Um, Be careful what you wade into. Response to the pandemic has been conscientious. Thailand slammed the door on the tourists who numbered 40 million in 2019. They look to be in a very interesting position. The country has a selfish military backed elite. Um, Coup after coup. I think there could be co- two coups in one day. Um, you should take a look at adding some Asian countries into your portfolio. You should take a look at adding some European countries into your portfolio. Get comfortable with them. Get comfortable with the data. Don't turn it down just because you've heard bad things once. I'm not telling you to do it. Consult a broker-advised any action on anything I ever mentioned. Um, but the pandemic winners right now in the world look like south korea china taiwan and vietnam they're the countries that seem to do the toughest craziest most dedicated pandemic plays where they shut down people didn't go out in public and it looks i'm not gonna use the word largely eradicated but their response puts their economies in really good positions China right now is showing good GDP, not great GDP growth, good GDP growth. And some of the videos that you see on uh, the BBC, they seem to be hanging out together in large crowds and not spreading the disease. They seem to have contained it somehow. I don't know. Not going to get into conspiracy theories. But while I'm close to a conspiracy theory, why not, right? So back to Bill Gates. He got the pandemic and he he said something recently that I want to share with you cuz I don't think he's a stupid person. He sounded the alarm on pandemics for years over years over years over years through his foundation. Um and he told PBS that Americans would not be completely safe from COVID-19 until fall of 2021 recently. Okay. Fall of 2021. His quote was, the slowness on the global response means that fall 2021 won't be completely back to normal. You look at the calendar, I think we wanted it to be over by the summer. And then we want it to wrap up by Thanksgiving. He's saying fall 2021, this time next year. I think he's more right than wrong in life. I think he's more smart than stupid. I think he's more cautious than aggressive in what words come out of his mouth. He gave a TED Talk in 2014. And I'm not a big TED Talk guy. I'm not one of those people who are like, ooh, it's Friday night, let's watch a TED Talk. Uh, when they happen to come across and they're interesting, sure, you're glued to them. But the world's biggest procrastinator and what he's learned from it, not from me. But in 2014, Bill Gates said... The U.S. isn't ready for a pandemic. He has repeatedly called out the virus and how it's gripped our country. The U.S. signals a reluctance to cooperate on a global level. Experts say the country has already experienced a third wave right now of the virus. The New York Times reported that 16 states, 16 states added more cases in the prior seven days than they had during the seven days prior. So... He's not optimistic that this is a quick fix. He is optimistic that things should largely get back to where they should be in 2021, fall of 2021. He thinks a lot of service jobs can be back in place. How many, how many elementary school, uh, preschools, how many restaurants won't be able to make it till 2021, fall? We're going to lose a lot of hotels. We're going to lose a lot of restaurants. California's got lovely weather pretty much so year round. Not a lot of 30 degree weather on the coast, but there's a lot of restaurants that are in the mountains. There's a lot of restaurants that are in the middle part of the country, right? As winter hits, this is going to hit our economy again. And if he's talking fall 2021, I don't think there's enough stimulus in the world to save all the service jobs that have been hurt. So I'm not going to say put a Google alert on Bill Gates, but I think over time, you're going to learn conservative. Areas that you won't get into trouble assuming. We're not going to have a V-shape recovery. Um, is that even a point to be talked at this point? <clears throat> we know that this year's numbers are way worse than last year's numbers. But we do know that they're getting better from last quarters. How long will it take us to get back to where we were? Fall 2021, right? It stinks, but... It looks like it's moving that direction. Bearer of bad news. I'm sorry. I'm Rob Black. Find me at newfocusfinancial.com.